house dinner and everything else. I'll do that. <laughs> it's good to see everybody here today. I'm, it's uh, My name is Eric. If I've not met you, I think I've met just about everybody in here. Um, but I do get the pleasure of, of coming and, and bringing God's word from time to time. And it's one of the greatest pleasures of my life to be able to do it. So I, uh, I love you guys. And um, I can tell that, you know, that you feel the same way sometimes. So uh, let's, let's pray. And then we'll, we'll get into, into our text today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, uh, Lord, and, and I ask God that, that you would meet with us here that uh, by your spirit, God, that your people would be fed. Uh, that, and I, I pray, Lord, that your word would accomplish all that you mean for it to. I pray, God, that, that if, if, if there are some in here that, that, that need, to be, uh, need to be cut, I pray, Lord, that you would cut. And if some need to be binded, Lord, I pray that you would bind. Uh, I, I ask, God, that you would encourage your people here today, that you would move me out of the way and that your word uh, would proclaim its truth and, and, and achieve its purpose here, Lord. So we thank you, God. We love you. Uh, thank you for sending your son to die for us, that we would be able to gather here and hear your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So today I'm going to be preaching out of First Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one. I'm, I'm going to take a little break from the Old Testament, uh, and I think I've, I've the last few that I've done in here have been from the from the Old Testament. So uh, we're going to be uh, uh, preaching out of Second Peter chapter one. So just a quick um, uh, to let you guys know what's going on in the book of Peter. So so these two letters um, were were written sometime in between the years sixty three A.D and 66 or sorry 63 and 65 AD um they were written no longer than 2 years apart from each other peter wrote his first letter to a church that was in asia minor and if you know anything about first peter you know that uh, most of it is is uh encouraging and um and um uh comforting those this church who is experiencing major persecution okay these people are are being killed for their faith and uh, and for for doing what Jesus called them to do uh, in His Great Commission, right? To go there, to therefore go, right? Uh, teaching the nations to obey, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're being killed for this. And um, in this second letter here, in this second letter here, Peter is addressing uh, something different. He's addressing a different issue. It was very very quickly, uh, like I said, within a year or two of the first letter. And uh, we know that it was so late. So Peter died in the year 66. Peter died in the year 66. And he makes a mention to this. Um, if you look in verse, I think it's verse 14, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, um, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, if you remember that taking place in the book of John, he tells uh, Peter, whenever he's uh, comes to them on the side of the on the side of the river as, or outside of the lake as they're fishing, and he tells them that you will stretch out your hands, you know, uh, like me. He he knows that his his death is imminent. That's kind of why we put it in that time frame. Um, but he is addressing uh, something completely different altogether. the 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 main point for the second letter of Peter is uh, false teachers. He's warning them that false teachers are going to be coming into the church. And uh, that their destruction will be swift and, and so on and so forth. Um, 
but there's going to be people creeping in and disrupting the foundation that these Christians knew that these Christians knew. So, um, while in the first letter, he's dealing with assaults on their physical bodies, pain on their physical bodies. He is now, uh, dealing with the issue of assaults being made on their spiritual selves, right? So we have their, their, and they're equally, um, um, important. But before he gets into that, and that's what I'm going to be focusing on today, before he gets into the topic of uh, false teachers, he deals with something more foundational. And, um, and I want to go ahead and, and get into that. So if you want to read with me, uh, we're going to be doing 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, verses 1 through 12. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. Follow along if you have your Bibles. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are in increasing, you, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and his choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. So that's a lot of reading, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to try to, to exegete all of this to you. But I, the first thing I want you to notice right off the bat, right off the bat, is who Peter is addressing. Look at, look at verse one, uh, the second part of verse one. It says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, he is writing this to believers. This is not to uh, just a random group of whoever wants to hear it. This is specifically to uh, a group of believers. And if you notice right here that those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, this is the reason why uh, we come and we preach that faith is not just something that you can just conjure up. You know, you just need to have more faith. Faith is something that has been received by God. Faith is something that is received by God as a gift. Okay. Now, the specific faith that he's talking about here, if, if we want to look into this, um, this is this is not just um, uh, the kind of faith somebody has when they when they sit in a chair. If I go sit in this chair, there's going to be a certain amount of faith that I have by sitting in it, right? I'm assuming it can hold me up. I'm assuming that it's going to support me. The faith that's being talked about here is the saving faith. 
is is this is the 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 faith that comes by the Holy Spirit when that Jesus talks about in John chapter three, wherever the wind blows and it comes and it makes the person born again, it makes them new. This is the kind of faith that he's talking about. These are real believers that he's talking to. He's a, he, he's talking to the to the real uh, believers, and Peter begins by uh, appealing to their experience. He starts to appeal to their experience. Look at look at verse three. Look at verse three. So seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. This is something that they've seen. This is something that they've experienced. This, uh, what it is like to receive this faith, right? By the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it is everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that begins a chain that we're going to start looking at. We have immediately in, in the first part of this uh, uh, chapter here, we have this faith that's been received, right? The Holy Spirit, the faith we were saved by grace through faith. That's that faith that's been received. And out of that comes this experience of everything pertaining to life and godliness. And that's what happens, doesn't it? When somebody receives the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in and makes the person new, they start to, we start to see a shift. We start to see godliness start to come in. They start to break away from the things of the world and they start to change. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. This is the experience that he is, that he's uh, uh, appealing to. So this happens It rest of verse three here. It happens through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence chapter or verse four. And by these, his glory and his excellence. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Well, precious and magnificent promises through his glory and his excellence. What are the promises? There's a lot of promises given in the Bible. But the promises that he's speaking of here are the promises of the Old Testament, right? That God had promised his people, such as the forgiveness of sin, strength and comfort in trials, a future resurrection. It is by these things that they are receiving the magnificent promises that God has been talking about all of this time throughout scripture. Okay. So that is going to create in them a type of faith, right? It's going to give them a foundation for whatever is happening. Remember we talked about in in the first letter that what was being spoken about was, um, was persecution. Well, this is the same foundation that there needs to be when a believer suffers persecution. This is the same foundation that there needs to be when false teachers come around and they start spouting off lies in scripture or twisting God's word like Satan does. Anyways, we'll get back to that. I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself. Um, um, So yeah, so those are the promises. And, um, And by these promises, they became partakers of the divine essence. Now, speaking of, of false teachers, False teachers like to do a lot with that partaking of the divine essence. You know, um, there are some cults out there that teach that uh, that you can become gods, little g gods, but that you yourself can become gods. That's partaking in the divine nature. Or or um, once you have this certain amount of enlightenment there, you turn part God. That that is not what this is saying here. When he's talking about partaking of the divine nature, that is the born again Christian. Yeah. Oh yes. That's right. 
yeah, yeah. Or, or everything is God, like the tree outside is God, or, you know, there's a little bit of God there. There's a little bit of God here. Christianity is not that way. There is a clear division between God and his creation. He is other than anything that there ever could be. He doesn't inhabit trees. He created trees. And with that being said, sorry, I'm, I just, I want to, I want to clear, I want to clear this up. God is not in all people. God is only in those whom he gives his spirit to. That is when the indwelling of God takes place in individual people. So God is completely other than his creation. Thank you for, for pointing that out. I do. I did need to, to say that. But so when we're talking about par, par, partaking of the divine nature, we're talking specifically about when the Holy Spirit comes in and he makes the person new and this person is now going to live in godliness. So I hope we're all following. I, I'm, I don't mean to be so technical with, with this passage of scripture. If there's any questions, feel free to stop me. If there's something that you need uh, uh, to, you know, for me to clarify or what have you. But um, so this part, so this partaking of the divine essence, being born again, new creatures, this all happens by the spirit, right? The spirit himself was promised by Christ. If you remember, I must go away. So there a helper will send the helper. We'll, the helper will come, right? He's speaking of the Holy spirit. This is, this is all part of, um, this is all part of God's redemptive plan. So by the work of this spirit, by the work of the spirit, we are made holy, right? We're made holy. We're set apart. We're set apart from the things of the world and its lusts. That's exactly what he says here in, uh, in verse uh, four. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You're made holy. You're set apart. And then it goes on to produce a list of virtues um, that Peter is going to list here. Um, I want to look at these. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, okay? The most important part about this is if you look at the very beginning, applying all diligence. He calls them to apply all diligence uh, in your faith. Apply all diligence in your faith. What faith? What faith? It's the faith granted by the Spirit. Remember, it comes, everything comes flowing from this, from this foundational born again, Holy Spirit indwelled person. That is where all godliness flows out from. He's, he's laying a foundation. Remember, I said that in the, in the intro. He's laying a foundation. That is the place where then we will be all diligent, applying all of our diligence into, in our faith to supply moral excellence. And in that moral excellence, knowledge. These are things that naturally come about with a spirit-filled person. Have you ever met a Christian, a true Christian in your life, that is satisfied with the way they are every day? Have you ever met a Christian that is content with their own moral excellence? If you have met a Christian that's content with their own moral excellence, they need to go to church and they need to read their Bibles. 
Because we know when we have this, this is what uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Romans, right? That we have this law of the spirit that, that, that is in us. And we have this law of sin that's in us. And there's constantly struggling against each other so that we don't do what we want to do. But there's times where we find ourselves doing what we don't want to do. And then there's other times where we find ourselves not doing what we know we should do. Right? And we're constantly striving for this moral excellence. But the problem is, is what is the motivation for that? You see, it gets twisted with us, with people. Because, you know, you can go to anybody, any random person. If, you ever, if you've ever uh, evangelized or, or been uh, preaching the gospel to anybody, you know, one of the one questions that's always answered yes is, Sir, do you believe yourself to be a good person? And everybody, everybody says, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. And you go, okay, well, well, have you lied before? Well, yeah, yeah, I've lied. Okay. Have you stolen anything before? Yeah. Yep. I've stolen something too. Okay. Are you, oh, do you always treat your mother like you should? Do you always treat your wife like you should? Do you always treat your kids like you should? Is, well, no, I don't always do any of those things yet. I'm a good person. Well, what makes you a good person? I'll say, what makes you a good person? Well, I'm always try to do the right thing. I always try to be kind to people. I always try to do this and to do this and to do this. But that's not what makes us a good person. And why do those things? Why, why, what, what's the benefit of doing those things? Just so I can call myself a, a better person? You see, the moral excellence that comes from here, what we're talking about here, that, 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 that is opened up in this chain of things. Let's look at the chain of things again. He says, um, he says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of salvation. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love you see striving for all of these things is not a bad thing you know if i'm talking to the guy on the side of the on the side of the road and, and we're having a talk about what it is to be a good person there's nothing wrong with trying to be more honest with people there's nothing wrong with with um trying to be more generous with what the Lord has blessed you with, or there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to be nicer to your mother and your family. And there's nothing wrong with that, but what's the motivation for it? Remember the foundation that we were talking about. All of these actions flow from God himself indwelling the believer. I want to be more morally excellent because I love God. Because God is holy and I would like to be pleasing to him. I want to grow in knowledge of him because he's the one that I love. What would it be like? What would it be like if you were, um, let's say you meet your, your, your spouse when you were courting and everything. And it's just like, hi, my name is Jim. Hello, my name is Susan. You know, uh, I love God. I love God. And that's all you ever learned about each other for the rest. You get married and learn nothing else about each other. That's not what happens when you love somebody, is it? You start to get to know them. You start to get to know what they like and what they don't like. These are the types of things that come from a relationship. And that's what he's talking about here. Growing in knowledge. 
Now I'm going to ask you something that might convict you a little bit. It, well, it might with, with, uh, with a, a younger crowd of people. But how often do you read your Bible? How often do we spend time getting to know the one that we profess to love? It's an honest question. How often are we in prayer with the one that we profess to love? You see, these things flow from a love that we have. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the one that has changed us. These are the types of things that need to be. Now, to not, uh, not, not, not to beat anybody up too bad, he said that we're, we are to, with all diligence, cultivate these things. I'm not saying, well, guys, if, if you don't already pray like you should and you already don't read the Bible like you should, then there's, you know, you're, it's a lost cause or you better figure that out. No, that's not the basis of our relationship with God. He's faithful. We may not always be faithful, but he is always faithful. We should be growing in these things. If we love the Lord, we need to cultivate these things. And that's the point. That's the point to this chain here. So when we look at moral excellence, yes, we should be cultivating moral excellence. We should be catching ourselves. We should know what God expects of us when we interact with other people. Uh, and in that knowledge, we should be seeking the knowledge of God. We should be in his word to see what he says about himself. We should be listening to sermons and coming to chapel and singing. We should be cultivating that relationship that we have with him. We should be controlling ourselves in times of anger or times of frustration or anxieties or whatever. We should be seeking self-control. That should flow from the love of God that we have, right? And we should be persevering. Trials should not break us completely. I'm not saying that trials don't hurt us or inflict us. All of us in here go through things, but they should not have mastery over us because of God in us, right? We see how all of this plays out. And in your perseverance, godliness, we should be looking more and more and more like God, but this should also come in how we treat other people. That's why he says brotherly kindness next. This is how I should be with my neighbor. This is how I should be with the person that gets my uh, order wrong at McDonald's. You've seen that? You've seen people do that before? Like, like they accidentally put onions on it and it's like, it's like the person set fire to their home. Like it is this huge deal. But see, as Christians, we know that people are made in the image of God. That person who messed up with my burger is made in the image of God. And out of love for God, I'm going to change the way that I deal with this person that did something that irritated me, right? This is how it plays out in the Christian life. Um, <clears throat> and, and in your brotherly love, or bro brotherly kindness, love. Love. That is what comes out of the Christian, right? It's out of this reverence for God. And we're going to get further into that. We're going to get further into that. But look at the next verse here. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours, if these qualities, the brotherly kindness, the moral excellence, all of these things, if all of these are yours and are increasing, you're working on them, right? They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have these things and you are growing in them, you will not be fruitless when it comes to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say to the disciples? How will the world know that, that these people are disciples of Jesus? I know you guys know this one. 
What does Jesus said that you will, they will know you are my disciples by how you, what? Act. How you love one another. How you love one another. This is where it flows from. If God is indwelling, it will always wind up in love. See, this is the difference. When I talk to the person on the side of the road and I'm telling him, what makes you a good person? What makes you a good person? If he's just trying to become a better person, but there's not love for the other person there, then it's worthless. It is not of God. It is of self-love. I want to feel better about myself. So I'm going to try to be better even though you know I'm not. Because what good person do you know that lies? That's not something good people do. What about uh, or, or how, how somebody treats another person badly? Do you think good people treat other people badly? No. That's not something that you would say a good person does. But somehow down here, we've now assumed, well, yes, I treat people badly and I lie, but I'm still good. That's crazy. That's crazy, but there is one who is good, right? And if you know this one who is good, he is cultivating in us, not just to be better, but he's cultivating in us to actually go and do better and be better, not because we want to be better, but because we love him, right? That's the motivation for all of this. Let's go a little bit further. So, um, Verse nine, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, I don't need a raise of hands here because I think, I'm, I think I'm, it's going to be accurate. How many of us are lacking in these qualities? I'll be the, I'll be the hand raiser. <laughs> okay, I, lo- I like it. I'm lacking in these qualities. There are, there are this, I'm not always morally excellent, and I probably won't always be morally excellent. But you know what he says here? That those who are lacking in these qualities is either completely blind, which I'm not going to say, you know, is, is, is the case for anybody in here today, or short-sighted, which isn't completely blind, right? It's just uh, uh, slightly visually impaired. But what does that mean? It means that we have forgotten his purification from former sins. We have forgotten, if we are lacking in these qualities... We have forgotten what the Lord has done for us. Guys, this is a huge, huge deal when we forget what he's done for us. Do you know, I, I counted it one time, but I forgot how many times it is. If you go through the book of Exodus, sorry, the book of Deuteronomy. If you go through the book of Deuteronomy, the amount of times that the Lord has to remind the people of Israel, I am the Lord who brought you out of slavery. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. You read it 150,000 times. That's me being, it's not actually, I don't know if there's that many words in Deuteronomy, but you read it a lot. That's the point that I'm, it is a constant reminder of having to go back and remember the Lord who bought you. And he gives this, he gives, uh, he gives the law to his people and he's constantly, you remind your children and your children will remind their children and you're going to write it on your head, you know, write it on the, on your forehead and on your hand, put it on the doorpost of your lintels to remind yourself, remind, remind, remind that I am the Lord, your God who freed you 
from the land of Egypt. When we lack in these qualities, look at what he says. You have forgotten your purification from former sins. It's the same thing. We have to be reminded of what the Lord has done for us. What, were, what was I before the Lord came in and saved me? Can I, if I think things are bad now, all I have to do is just remember five days before the Lord came in and saved me. If I remember what it is that he's done for me, how he's changed me, guys, I'll be open with you. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic before the Lord saved me. My wife was in the middle of divorcing me when the Lord saved me. I was in the middle of losing my job. I had no self-respect. I had nothing. I was a broken vessel with a liver twice the size of what it needed to be because I was headed towards cirrhosis at the age of 33. How dare I forget what the Lord has done for me? How dare I not live my life in such a way where, I'm, where I want to strive to be morally excellent for him because I love him? Look at the goodness and the kindness of what he's done, right? Do we have that in our lives? That's, 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 that's what we're asking here. Do we have that moment from what we used to be to what God has made us? Do we have that moment in our lives? And if we don't, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But if we do, and there's somehow you're, you're upset today or, or, um, or you're struggling with something today, the per, you, you're having a hard time persevering through something and the trials are piling up, remember, remember who bought you and what he gave for you. Can you remember him today? Can you remember him in the next moment that you have when something doesn't go the way that you want to? Remember him. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what Peter is laying this foundation for. And it's, it, it is the most, it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing in the entire world when you look at this. Because what is Peter addressing? What is Peter just got done addressing? And what is he about to address? Persecution up to and including death. That's First Peter. In 2 Peter, false teachers. Remember these things, whether it is where you're going to be persecuted to death or whether it's just somebody that's going to come in here and tell you some stuff about Jesus that's not true. This is the foundation for everything that we go through in our lives. Everything. It is the cornerstone because it is about the cornerstone, right? It is about Jesus Christ. That's, that's the point. And all of this comes from, from, uh, from a place of, of being born again. Now, it's so easy, guys. And, I, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I'm at here. Okay, I've got about 14 minutes. I think I can make this work. Okay. Um, yeah, I did get a little sidetracked there. So um, it's easy to get caught up in the virtues. This is not just a sermon about, guys, you need to be more morally excellent if you love God. Or guys, you need to grow in knowledge if you love God. That You need to do that. Yeah, I, it is a little bit of that. But this is not simply about, about the, 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 the virtues in and of themselves. This is about what they represent. This is about what those virtues represent. I'm not looking so much at the fruit of the tree. I'm looking at the root of the tree. That's what we're, we're going to be really focusing on. Christianity is not moralism. 
Christianity is not moralism. It's not just to do better or to say better or to think better for goodness sakes. Be good for goodness sakes. I think that was in the Christmas song. <laughs> that's not that's not Christian at all. You know, I mean, it's a song about Santa. Obviously, it's not Christian. But what I'm saying is we, we don't want to be good for goodness sakes. We want to be good for Christ's sake. It is for his sake that we do. It is for his sake that we persevere. It is for his sake that I'm good to my neighbor and that I love my neighbor. I can actually understand love because God has loved me first. I can sacrifice, I can love my wife in a sacrificial, self-sacrificial way because God himself has sacrificed his son for me. You see, the way that I act all flows from this saving faith that God has given to me, that he's granted to me. That's what Peter is reminding these people of. That re- the, the faith, the saving faith, the relationship, the indwelling of God in us, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, God himself indwelling us. He will be the cause to grow in the virtues that we're talking about. He'll be the reason why we grow in knowledge. Guys, I have the, some, when you're talking about knowledge, I have met the most knowledgeable about the Bible, non-believers in like that you can find. There are non-believers that will go and they will learn every little thing that they can about this right here that will make your head spin. That's not the kind of knowledge that I'm, that I'm talking about. I am talking about the, and that's not the kind of knowledge that Peter is talking about either. This is not knowledge for knowledge sakes, right? This is knowledge for Christ's sake. It's not just about knowing about God. It's about knowing him, knowing who he is. And that comes by Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And that's why, that's why this is actually going to protect the people that Peter is writing to. He's writing to people where false teachers are going to be coming in. Well, how do you protect yourself from false teaching? By knowing what God says, right? Wait a minute. That's not right because God said otherwise. Well, Jesus isn't God. Well, that's funny because Peter actually just said our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we talking about here? You can't tell me that Jesus isn't God because the Bible just says that Jesus is God. So I'm I'm protected from that false teaching. You know, there's a book that I read a long time ago. It's called Kingdom of the Cults. And uh, Walter Martin in this book says that, uh, so back in the day, the, the, they were having a problem with people making fake money, fake currency, and using fake currency to purchase things. So what they did was, is that they would go, they would go into these banks and they would train the tellers there. This is, uh, you know, a while back. And what they would do is, is they would just have them count money all day long, not actually counting it, but just running the bills through their fingers. So when there wasn't a customer coming up and they were just constantly running the bills through, running the bills through, running the bills through. Well, after a week of this, they became so familiar with how a real dollar felt and the weight of it and everything else. They started sneaking fake $100 bills in the stack. And sure enough, they would pull it out and it would be the fake $100 bill. They became so familiar with the correct $100 bill that all of the fake $100 bills stood out to them like no problem. Guys, the same thing happens with false teaching. 
if we familiarize ourselves with Christ and we seek this true knowledge of him that is found in his word and by his spirit, that when somebody presents, when somebody tries to slide a fake $100 bill in the pile, we are going to spot that thing from a mile away. We are going to know this thing has no place here because I know my Lord and I know what he says. Somebody says, well, you know, Jesus isn't God. Yeah, he is. And I can give you 10 verses to prove it. 10 verses to prove it. That you're not going to slide that one in by that, but that has to come out of a place of love for him. It's not good enough just to know what he says, just for knowledge sakes. We're talking about a relationship. We're talking about a relationship with him. And that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Guys, and this is where I'll start to wrap up here. When difficulties come up in your life, when wolves in sheep clothing come and they seek to lead you astray or somebody hurts you or somebody hurts somebody that you love or you start to notice yourself drifting away, you start to notice yourself drifting kind of back into that, that the sinful life that you used to live in or you start um, you don't want to pray as much or you don't want to read the word as much. Conjuring up more faith is not the answer. I just need to have more faith. No, that's not, that's not the answer here today. That is not the final, that's not the point of this sermon. If you want to know what the point of the sermon is, remember. Remember him. Remember where you were before the Lord had mercy on you. Look at the wondrous works of God. You used to be in Egypt, slaving away all day long. Yeah, you were eating a little bit of meat, right? Didn't the Jews complain about that? Well, we at least ate, you know, good fruits and vegetables, not this manna from heaven that God was graciously pouring out upon his people, right? Remember him. He freed you from the land of Egypt if you know him. If there is a semblance of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you and it is cultivating righteousness and it's cultivating knowledge of him and a desire to hear his word, then you know him, remember him. Remember him. That's the point of this sermon. Every sin and evil hater of God and the one that loves you, well, hold on. But not only remember what he's done for you. That's the point that I was trying to make here. Sorry, I don't, I don't even need this. I don't even know I'm looking at it. Not only remembering what he's done for you, because, you know, in the third chapter, in the, in the third chapter of this same book, Peter reminds them of something else. He calls them in the first chapter to remember all that God has done, all that God has supplied them with, everything that God has given them pertaining to life and godliness. Remember this, because false teachers are coming. But don't worry, the Lord is coming too. That's verse th that's chapter 3. So I'm here to do the same thing with you that Peter is doing with these people. Remember what the Lord God has done for you. But also know, remember that he is coming. He is coming again. And guys, the, the language that surrounds his second coming is going to be cataclysmic. 
He is coming in vengeance. Romans chapter, or not Romans chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19 says that he is coming with a robe dipped in blood for his adversaries. This is not meek and mild Jesus with the lamb across his shoulders, you know, and one of the guys that I, I love listening to says it was hair like a shampoo model, you know, and, and uh, hands that look like they never worked a day in his life. No, that's not how the Lord is coming his second time. That anybody who has hurt you for Christ's sake, because of your love for Christ, anybody who has done evil to you or wrong to you, anybody, anybody who has sinned against him and rejected his son, the Lord God is coming in vengeance a second time at the end. Anybody who has sought to lead you astray from his actual word, anybody who has sought all of that, all of that, the Lord is going to come and he is going to judge and he's going to do so rightly. It's not on us to make people sorry for how they are to us. We pray for them, right? And guys, this is why it's so important. We remember what he's done, but we also remember what he's going to do. If you are sitting here today, and I don't know if this is the case or not, I don't know people's hearts. For all of those who reject the son, we must know that his promises will be fulfilled. And if you continue to reject Jesus Christ, then you will be one of the ones he is taking vengeance on in the end. We cannot just look at the things that he's done, but we also have to look forward to the things that he will do. I started off this sermon by saying, when we remember, we remember that he's freed us from the land of Egypt. Remember these things. Remember these things. Remember these things. Keep in mind that your salvation today is a fulfillment of promises that he made through the entire Old Testament. You are, if you're in Christ today, you have a fulfillment of so many promises, which is God in the spirit dwelling in you right now. You are literally a walking fulfillment of God's promises. Do we honestly think that God will not fulfill other promises that he's made? No chance. No chance. So out of love for him, if I know someone that doesn't know God, if I know someone that rejects him, if I know someone that is literally casting aside the most glorious payment that God could have ever paid for people, then why would I not tell them? Turn to Christ. You can be saved. We have God who sent his own son in the flesh to live a perfect life that none of us could live and die for the sins of his people in the most cursed way possible on a tree. He was killed for our transgressions. He was placed in the grave for three days. And after that three days, he defeated death and sin by raising from the dead in victory, conquering every single sin that would fall upon those who would believe in him. And he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God, where he is ruling and reigning over this earth right now. And he will come again to, in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the means by which you were saved. And if you are, praise God. Praise God. 
but he's not come back yet. We have to persevere. We have to continue striving. We have to continue loving. We have to continue bearing the fruit of the great, great work that he's done in you and that he's done in me. And if you find yourself starting to sway, remember him. Remember him. That's what I want to tell you today. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day and this time and these glorious people that you've brought to yourself, Lord. Thank you for your abundant kindness to us. Can we remember, Lord, in our days where we, we did what was right in our own eyes, where we, we lived according to the world, we lived according to the flesh, and, and even worse so, Lord, that we thought ourselves good people while we were doing it. Lord, thank you for having mercy on us. Thank you for opening our eyes to you, to, to giving us a true knowledge of you. Lord, help us to live out this way. In whatever our circumstances are, Lord, help us to bear the fruit of your spirit. Help, don't let us get so far in our own thoughts and our own cares and our own worries of the world and our circumstances to forget you. Don't let us forget you. God, help us. Help us to remember. Help us to lean on to Christ. Help us to love one another in such a way where every unbeliever, whether it's in wheat fields or whether it's in Clovis, wherever it is, Lord, that they would look at us and say, you know what? That person must be a Christian because of the way that they love each other and the way that they love others. Lord, help us. May, may Christ be glorified in all that we think, in all that we do. Lord, help us remember. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.